Hello, everyone. I'm Howard Holton, and I'm here with Paul Lewis. Hey there. And this is another exciting week for the sweet spot. So, Paul, what do we have? In, what do we have planned for the for the dozens of viewers we have every week? <laughs> well, we have a ongoing series. Apparently, it was never planned, but it seems like it's working out that way. Ongoing series of what we mean when we say this. And I think today would be a good day to talk about the new normal as what we mean when we say this. Oh, that's kind of, a, kind of a crossover episode from our, from our what we mean when we say this series and our pandemic series. We're going to do, kind of do a crossover. <laughs> exactly. It's our first crossover. Let's mark that down. We'll do, we'll do future episodes just like this. We'll make up two other. <laughs> okay. So, so we have lots of conversations with CIOs and CTOs and the like um, about the new normal. And I think it's fair to say it's mostly negative. And I don't mean negative in the term of the new normal is a bad thing, but most of the stories are negative, right? See, here are the things I have to do because of the new normal. And it's not necessarily technological. It's clearly very people-centric. And people have a, you know, a bad taste in their mouth when they hear the term, right? It, it, it creates a, a sense of negativity. Uh, but there, I think there has been good things and bad things and indifferent things. And I think it's worthy of a conversation. I, I wrote some notes, so I'm prepared with some examples. But I think, I think that would be an interesting conversation to walk through. A little, little deeper dive a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, are we going to do like the positives and negatives? Are we going to really kind of visit the positives? Because we know most of the negatives. Is it like, what is the... Well, let's, let's tackle the negatives too, because it's true and it's important. But then let's kind of end with the good stuff, because there are some good, interesting things, especially personal. I tend to agree. Think there's value. Um, but let's take, let's, let me start with, with new normal bad in terms of big groupings, right? So I think, so I th and, and let's not use the word bad. Let's just say it has uh, negative implications, right? So, so first and foremost, of course, is health and safety, right? There's a new normal of health and safety. A good portion of that meant I had to be at home. A good portion of that meant I needed some quarantine or isolation um, good portion of that is ensuring that if I have to stop travel, that's that kind of bucket. Right. Bucket number two is uh, more employment and economic, right? So lots of furloughed people and lots of people and unemployment. Uh, that those probably aren't coming back in some sort of V curve, right? They'll come back a little bit, but they're certainly not going to come back all the way. And what does that mean in general? And then last bucket sort of a communication and cultural bucket, right? There's been pretty big changes in how we communicate, even with our family, let alone with our peer group, let alone with our workmates. Um, and then how culture has changed, not just personal culture within the country, you might be living in, but culture within organizations. That's, that's kind of the, the buckets of the negative, you know, how do you feel about that? I mean, overall, I think, I think shrinkage is probably the one that's, that's, um, that's the most dangerous, right? Um, shrinkage of economy, shrinkage of growth, shrinkage of workforce. Um, I think that's probably the most dangerous only because it's not, that's not the new normal yet. We don't know what that's going to look like, right? What are the, what are the economic impacts long-term, longer term, I guess, to um, the immediate and current effects of COVID? Mm. Um, and, and I think that's kind of, 
worrying, right? Here in the US, um, we've come up on kind of the end of the first, um, I, I'd call it a bailout, um, but the first stimulus package has kind of come, come to its end, right? So we're, right. we're expecting to see a whole lot more furloughs occur, a whole a bunch more layoffs occur, um, as companies that received funds are now running, those funds are now running dry. Um, and I think, I, I think some of that is, is direct economic, as in um, the airline industry, for instance, doing layoffs. Sure, people are still are traveling, but they're not traveling in the numbers they were before. Therefore, I don't need the, the people. Some of it, like in retail, right? Retail has seen, saw a dip, but has actually seen a spike in many places. Um, and yet they're still furloughing people, they're still cutting hours. And I think a lot of that has to do with the question of the unknown. I don't know what the economy is gonna look like. I don't know what this, we're expecting a recession and I don't know what this recession is gonna look like. So do I, do I move forward as though everything's gonna be okay? Do I take a wait and see? Do I plan for the worst? And I think companies are leaning towards those second and third categories, right? The, the um, wait and see, which means I don't bring people back on to full force or the plan for the worst, right? Where I now start looking at what is the bare minimum skeleton crew I need to accomplish things and kind of maybe aim for that. I, I, think, I think people are assuming, and that's rightly so in my opinion, that waves are coming at us. And I don't think it's necessarily just waves of pandemic, but it's waves of economic change, waves of employment change, waves of consumer demand, waves of uh, potential other pandemics or pandemics on top of pandemics. Um, and therefore I'm gonna have to deal with the situation where I have massive scale up and massive scale down, um, and I need to design that way going forward because I can't, I can't assume completely negative or completely positive. I have to assume that I now have to deal with fluctuations more than I would have ever in the past. Sure. I think the worst thing you can ever do for humans is um, uncertainty. Mm. Like, I think it's okay to go, things are bad, and therefore we act accordingly. Right. Um, I think it's okay to go, there's no money to be lent and act accordingly. I think it's okay to do all those things. I think it's waiting for the other shoe to drop where, where humans do their, their worst, right? Mm -hmm. We're not at our best when we're unsure of what's actually going on. And I kind of feel like that's almost where we are now, where kind of every company is holding its breath going, um, is, is where we are today, the bottom, or is there a future bottom that we're unaware of? Um, and I think, it's, I think it's actually made worse by the media and economists and kind of the talking heads that you're supposed to listen to also going, yeah, we didn't really see this coming and we don't really know what's going to happen and we're expecting a recession, but we kind of expected this to be worse, which means worse is still maybe coming. And then other guys going, well, but if you look at the markets and if you look at the way things are, are happening, this, you know, what, where we're in now may have been an overreaction, in which case we're actually coming on the upside, even though we're not, even though we're not playing like it's the upside. Or if you look at these price indexes or these kind of things, you know what I mean? Um, I, think, I think we're in a case where there's too much information and too many talking heads to really kind of give us direction on where to go and what to do and where to play. You're right. We're better as a society at events. This event occurred. Now we all get to come together to fix the problems, the resulting of the event. But if the event is a year long, then it doesn't become, doesn't feel like an event anymore. It just feels like I'm, I am in fact riding these waves, some of which are successful, most of which are not. In well, fact, 
there's no change in information, right? So yeah. we keep saying this has been the longest, the longest April Tober in <laughs> history. Right. Um, and the fact is it like it feels like it's still April to me. And yet I've got snow coming on Tuesday. <laughs> right. Matter of fact, our 48 hour swing is something like 97 degrees. Wow. It's going to be in the 80s on Monday, 26 on Tuesday, and the 90s on Wednesday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's going to wreak havoc on many, many things. Yeah. Um, and, and not to mention, like, no one's actually felt like they had a summer. No one's felt like there's been a fall. Like, no one's really felt like there's been a, an actual season change. It's just been this kind of constant low-level hum of, of uncertainty. Yeah, because you're, you're inside in the air conditioning. You haven't <laughs> got outside. You haven't, you haven't seen the world. But to your last point in terms of, in terms of building, problems building upon each other, um, you know, I, we've talked about big data a lot, and this is another example of big data where uh, the more data that you have, the more incidents that you see or the more problems that are occurring, the less important the individual problem becomes, right? So the, the, the bigger pot you have, the less likelihood you'll be able to identify an individual person or an individual <laughs> problem. And therefore, it just kind of looks like a statistics, right? It look, just looks like groupings. So I'll use some numbers here, try not to be political, but when, when you only had a thousand of those things, it was incredibly important. I was paying attention, a thousand, that's a lot of things. But when there's 200,000 of those things now, it becomes a big number, but the number's too big for me to identify an individual person or an individual thing or an individual value. It just, at that point, becomes a statistic. It's not a thing at all. It's just a bigger group. And really, there's not a huge difference between 200,000 and 300,000, 200,000 and 500,000, because I don't think in terms of those magnitudes, right? So our problem will get worse as the numbers grow. I mean, yes and no, right? Because the other problem with, with data analytics is the modeling, mm -hmm. right? And when you have an extreme anomaly like we did here, right, a worldwide pandemic really hasn't occurred since we've been hardcore studying economics. And certainly since we've been collecting data that you could that you feed into a big data model, um, it makes it really hard to go, what's the outcome? Well, if we, if, we use mo if we model other recessions, cool, but other recessions have been based on localized economies to some degree. Right. Now we're looking at the global economy, right? The risk from global shutdown, the risk from global pandemic. And we still don't know, is there going to be another wave and what's the other wave going to look like? Right. Right. But, but if you take my numbers, a thousand deaths seems like a lot. A thousand deaths, well, I'm, I, I know a thousand people. But 200,000 deaths kind of doesn't. Because right? it's so beyond my imagination that I almost now just see it as something written on a piece of paper instead sure. of the deaths that it actually is. Sure. It's very right? similar to the conversation we had last week where we talked about the number of people you could encounter in a day before your brain turns off. Right. Yeah, right. and, and it's interesting when we look at numbers that way, um, it, it, it roughly correlates to hands and feet. Right. Like humans have a really, really, really good handle on tens. <laughs> right. We really understand 10. Anything up to 10, we're really, really good at, right? But the further you get away from 10, the less good we are at actually understanding the number because it's just too big a number. Mm -hmm. And kind of to your point, right? Um, I know a thousand people. I probably know a thousand people. Like, you know, between, I probably have 
you know, I've got like 5,000 people on, on LinkedIn. So if that went dark one day, that would be weird. I've, I've, I may have 500 people or something on Facebook. Like if that went dark one day, that would be weird. Right. But I don't know 200,000, 300,000 people, right? right. And so to your point, right, it's just so mind-bogglingly big, it seems it, it, you, you just turn off and it becomes a st statistic. Right. So then when you double that number, it becomes 400,000 deaths. Then it, in many ways, it doesn't feel as bad as the zero to thousand. And it's significantly worse than zero to a thousand. Significantly. That, that's unfortunate, right? The bigger the numbers, the less, I don't want to say care, but the less I'm focused on the impact. Well, it's the, and the problem is it's still a small number. Right. right? If we just look at the U.S., right, and we take, and we take 200,000, 200,000 goes into 350 million a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. so you go 200,000, like, I don't know anybody that's died of COVID. Uh, that's not true for me, but, but, right. you know, people are often saying, I don't know anybody that's died of COVID, but 200,000 people have died. So it, there must be something weird with the numbers. Like you'd think I'd know someone personally, right. like I would have been personally impacted. Um, and the fact is, it's still a small percentage of the population overall. Right. It's not, it's not so small. We shouldn't be worried about it. I'm not trying to mini minimize at all. I'm just trying to explain human psychology. I think that's what we're both trying to do here. Right. Um, and, and, and ultimately, that becomes very, very interesting when you think, think about it. <clears throat> right? At what point does a number kind of jump the shark again and come back at you? Right? If a thousand is a big number because you know a thousand people or that's more just over the number of people that you know, but you can kind of conceive of it, and mm -hmm. 200,000 or 400,000 or 500,000 um, isn't, because it's so big, you can't really conceive of that number of people, right? Like, right. I could maybe even say 50,000 is okay, because I've been in a football stadium. Right, yeah, I can, I mean? I can I've, visualize I've like the number, that number of people. Right. right. Um, I don't know what 200,000 would look like, because I've never seen them together at one place. Right. Um, right, at what point does it come back? At what point does the number then, again, then get big enough again that it comes back at you? Right, when the percentage as, is as big as the number. Right. When the percentage is 0 0.01, it's almost not important. But when the percentage is three, whoa, three percent right. is a big number of a population, right? Right. Well, I mean, compared to heart disease, right? We lose uh, the United States loses half a million people a year to heart disease. Right. Right. We're getting close to that with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I realize not quite half is is not what some people would consider close, but from a statistical standpoint, that's very close. Sure. Right. Absolutely. And so, right. And, and so do we think about heart disease the same way we think about COVID? Right. I'm not sure that we do. And I'm not sure how much we think about heart disease on an, on an ongoing day-to-day -day basis either. So that, that's kind of the health and safety and the, um, <coughs> and employment, the employment yeah. and economy. How about the culture and communication? What, uh, so we spent a lot of time talking about culture and communication. And one of the things that I saw this week that I think is really interesting because it's, because well, I just saw it this week. It's, it was also hilarious. It was a kid who looked to his mother and said, oh my God, mom, it just occurred to me. We've now, schools have now figured out how to use Zoom instead of in-person. That means I'll never have another snow day. That's right. <laughs> right? And that yeah. kind of talks directly to your point. How has communication changed? Um, good and bad. Right? The good news is we now realize that people can work from home and still be productive. That people mm -hmm. can work from home and still be connected. Right. right? Um, 
The bad news is they're not connected to the same level of quality. They're not connected to the same level of human connection. Even if right. the technology connects them, even if the business connects them and they have the business connectivity, we've, we've, we've in some ways, I think, damaged human connectivity to a point where I'm not entirely certain how it's going to come back or what it's going to look like when it does. It, it will be an uncomfortable experience when we meet in person again. I guarantee uh, I'm not looking forward to ever coming back to an office. Right. Like, like I'm not, yeah, I just think it would be weird if we, like if we came back and it was different, it's gonna be weird. Right. Because I've got 25 years of going to offices, right? So, so it's gonna be weird. But if we come back and it's different and it's the same, then it's gonna be even weirder because it shouldn't be the same. Right. Like my expectation is it should in fact be different. Right. So I'm really concerned what that's going to look like. And I'm not sure what it should look like. Like, it's really easy for us to go, hey, this thing is broken. This is what it should be. These are our, this is our advice to get it back to, you know, to kind of compensate for what should be. And therefore, this is the direction you should go. I'm not sure what the, what the offers of the future should look like, like what its ideal state is. Thus, I'm not sure what to say to aim for it. Right. Right. Um, I think offices as communal spaces has value. However, all of the research shows that offices with no traditional floor plan, right? Offices without walls are really, really, really bad ideas and overwhelm people like crazy. Right. Right. Um, I kind of think that offices in the future are going to best be used in the, similar to how we use shared spaces today. Like if you were to look at a Regis or a WeWork or something like that, right. um, I think thinking about an office that way would be really, really smart where, um, you know, you look to, you're in the office only when you need to be in the office, you're in the office for an office-based purpose and you're smart enough to associate the office-based pur purpose with a human-based purpose. Hmm. So as an example, right, um, we have a team standup every week. Let's go in for the team standup and actually be there in person for the team standup. But let's also organize a team lunch. Let's also right. organize a team activity. And ideally we want everyone to participate. I know that's not reasonable, right? right. And, and while our first thing is to jump to making it mandatory at the same time, we want, to, we want to keep in mind that this is going to be weird and odd for people. Right. And so you need to allow them the freedom to find their own entry and exit to what they're comfortable with. Right. So the team stand up, maybe that's critical. And maybe we just do team coffee. Right. Right, and and all you have to do is go get the coffee. You just have to join us for the five minute it takes five minutes it takes to get the coffee. Stand in line, check right. out, and receive your coffee, and then you can leave. Right, right. and then whoever wants to, we're going to walk back. We're going to go to the little like kitchenette area, or we're going to go stand out on the balcony, or we're going to wait right. in the lobby, or whatever whatever we want to do, and we're just going to sip our coffee, and right. no work, just kind of be. Right, however that works out, and I think that's great, and people can trickle trickle out of that as they feel comfortable. Right. Um, and, and I think we missed that opportunity in when we were in the office. Like um, I've worked for small companies and large companies, startups and well-established companies. Um, and ultimately, um, I love the startup culture. Mm. But, but that's silly because the fact is the startup culture is you work 160 hours a week. <laughs> right. And you do right. everything because you don't have right. enough people to do everything. Right. And, and you have every hat and you do everything and it's all right. hands on deck all the time. And the fact is most startups fail without turning into a golden unicorn and a golden right. parachute. Right. Um, but the reality is there, there were two things I really enjoyed about startup culture. One 
we're all in this together. So it's not just you that wears every hat, it's everyone that wears every hat. Right. Right. And so if you have the capabilities to help, even if that's assemble desks in the new office space, you assemble desks in the new office space. Right. Right. It doesn't matter what your job is. You just, you just do it. Right. As CIO, I put together a lot of desks. Good, right. better, different. Right. I cabled a lot of things. I assembled <laughs> a lot of things. Right. Um, I really liked that. I liked the mentality of um, put aside your ego and get done the job that needs to be get done. And that's right. all that's important. Because sure. everyone was in it together, it wasn't just you. Right. Um, and then Especially the a menial task, right? Because everybody yeah. can do it. That doesn't require any particular specialized skill. Uh, and it's really just labor at that point. We're all just labor now. Yep. I'd get my kids to come in too if I could. But yep. And you always <laughs> felt good at the end of the day too. Yeah. You always felt good. And, and it helped to increase that connection you have with the people that you work with. Right. Right. Not the people that work for you or the people that work in other departments, but across the board, all of it, right? You're all in this together. We're all rowing the same way. And then the right. second thing that I really liked was um, you can't work at a startup. It's really hard for a startup to be successful for any long time if people are working with people they don't like. Mm -hmm. Right. So what tends to happen, tends, it's not always true, tends to happen is the people, the people that aren't, that don't like each other tend to, one, one half of the equation tends to leave. Right. And so what ends up happening after a certain amount of time is the people that are there tend to like each other, which also means you tend to do things together. We always went to lunch together. Always. There was right. always some group going to lunch. There might be two, but you could always find a group to go to lunch with. And while that sounds right. silly and it is absolutely expensive because you're paying for eating out every day, um, right. it's also really helps to build that sense of community, that sense of connectedness, that sense of tribe that really makes you feel good. And, and I'd really like to encourage, look to the sort of culture in your organization and see what things can we learn there to help rebuild the culture once we start really connecting it in person in a way that we want that culture to be reflected in our organizations. Because one of the biggest positives that I see is, I don't know what your culture You're muted. Huh, that was weird. Um, but if you were to think about it, your culture probably wasn't perfect. It probably wasn't 100%. Even if you liked your culture, it probably could use some improvement. And I would say, think about that a bit. Right? Spend some time going, if I could just start from scratch and define my culture, what would my culture be defined as? And then aim for how do I push more that direction? Right? How do I shift more that direction? I like that you were able to do a traditional Howard Holton tangent. And then bring it back into the original. <laughs> Let me talk about startups for 10 minutes. Bring it back to the original conversation. Be good. <laughs> I'd I say that's improvement. I appreciate that about you. <laughs> to echo what you're saying about some of those cultural habits, one of the things that I did that I was constantly knocked about when I was operating IT was a afternoon 3 p.m. coffee run. That was what I did. And it was, Starbucks was um, something I could see from my office, uh, but it was a good 30 minute round, right? And it was walking through, walking through some fields and on a sidewalk and eventually over to, to the plaza I needed to get to. And I took somebody different with me every day for that trip and bought them their coffees. And it probably cost me 
thousands of dollars over time, but I had a one-on-one -on -one every day with a different person and we actually made decisions in those blocks, right? Not only did I get to know them personally, but then we get to say, well, let's talk about business for a couple of minutes. Great. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do the other. Any questions, any observations? Let's, let's do those things. Let's talk personally. And then when we're back, we've comfortably had a 30 minute meeting and it was great. And it was, I spent a lot of money and people mocked me for it. And I'm telling you, it was probably the most effective technique I had leading people. And, and you never thought about this is money. Like you never even thought about the money until afterwards when you're talking about it now. Exactly. Like I'm sure you had times in between where, you, where like maybe you looked at it, you know, your wife looked at the credit card statement and went, how much did you spend on Starbucks? Right. I see a lot of Starbucks here. <laughs> but you never once went, yeah, you're right. I should probably cut back. You just went, right. no, I mean, this is the <laughs> thing is what I'm I do. doing and I enjoy doing it and it's well worth the money. Right. Um, so at, at the last office I had, there was a park in front. Yeah. And so um, there was a, the best period that I had was when I could go for walks and I would always go for walks with someone. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it was someone in my department, in which case I would, you know, we'd go discuss kind of what are they working on? What are the roadblocks kind of, what do they want to be doing? Right. It was a combination of um, strategy and career development and kind of um, tactical, get the boss to move stuff out of your way kind of stuff. Right. Right. Um, other times it was, it was cross organization, right? It was a, it was a peer or someone in a, in another department and we would go for a walk. Right. Um, and that stuff ma did make a huge difference every time. I, I kind of wish I'd have been more cognizant of the value of it because I would have prioritized it. I simply used the time when it was available, but, but had I been right. a little more cognizant of it, I would have made sure that it remained on my schedule regardless of anything else, because it was exceptionally useful. Um, and it was good for for all parties involved, right? Getting out of the office and going for a walk is always a good idea. There's never a point where it's a bad idea. Even when stuff's on fire, being able to get out and reset makes a tremendous difference. Even in winter. Even in winter, even in Denver, even in Toronto. <laughs> right. makes a huge difference. Now I will say Denver and Toronto have a significant difference in winter in that you have a whole city under the city. Right, that's and true. We don't have a city under the city. <laughs> no. We just have true. the street. And you're spread out a lot. We, we are. We yeah. are We're massively spread out. But, but regardless, right, getting out is always a good thing. And getting out can mean go to the lobby. It can mean get in the car. That's less ideal. But it, can't, it doesn't have to mean it's negative 20 out, you know, like get, spend eight minutes getting bumbled up, go outside, freeze to death, then come back inside and hate the right. fact that you're now thawing. <laughs> you know, like it, like it just means step away from what you would consider normal for the day, break up that routine, um, giving your brain the ability to, to take a moment too also helps reset. And you'd be amazed the number of stumbling, of things you've been stumbling over or things you've been locked on that suddenly unravel and you suddenly can get some clarity to. One of the things I miss, which I think would be interesting to change is presenting in front of people. Yeah, I, I fully appreciate that once we sort of get back together and we meet, it's going to be weird and awkward. And even if it's people you already know, still will be strange, right? You'll kind of want to shake hands and you won't. You'll be back a bit. You'll be guarded. Uh, but I absolutely miss presenting in front of people. Me too. Uh, but, but I think it can be done. Like when we saw the conventions in the last two weeks, you know, there were live people having live conversations in front of people. There weren't necessarily tens and hundreds of thousands of people, 
but it would be interesting to do things like a conference where the presenters are in fact live. The presenters are in fact together in some way. There's a moderate audience of just, you know, it might just be the people in your company or the people who are doing the recording, but there's a few dozen people there that at least are receiving the message you're sending them. Uh, but it's, it, it gives the combination of both feeling and being live together with other people, but still distributing it in a virtual sense. I think that would be better than 100% virtual, 100% pre-recorded, 100% segregated. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think it would be really interesting to do a 1% rule, yeah. right? To where you go either invite only or very expensive or some combination thereof, where our goal is to have 1% of the prior conference attendance in person and no more than that, we've capped it. Right. right. We want all the presenters to be there in person because a live event has a tremendously different energy than a pre-recorded event. It's night and day difference. I don't like pre-recorded events. Aim right. for live. Um, the production crew. And then, you know, you can still, you can still enable the VIPs that want to be there to be there and, and really tailor a VIP experience. Right. And I think that would be interesting. And Sam will cast the thing, right? Like sure. from this point forward, you should never have a conference that's not simulcast ever. There's no reason for it. We've now proven you can do it. Right. You should do it. Even if it's off by four hours so you can deal with any production issues, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be live. You're just rebroadcasting what was in fact live. No right. pre-record, no, you know, no, like I pre-record three weeks earlier, you pre-record a month earlier, you know what I mean? And then right. we assemble it. It's, it's live, it's just, it's just on a delay so we can deal with production issues. That's, I think that's acceptable. And even things like this, like in, in as much as we have a good time doing sweet spots from different cities, it would be better if we were doing a sweet spot in the same city, in the same studio, being recorded together. Because I think the person, the person to person interaction will feel like a better communication. Because even now, when we're having this conversation, there's, there's some stunting, right? There's some times where we're talking over each other, sometimes where there's, there's blank air, right? It's just because this is the technology that's between us. Well, our audio is clearly different. I'm in a train station. You're in Tibet. <laughs> that's like, correct. <laughs> I'm pretty high elevation, though. I'm getting some good satellite signal. Are you getting winded, okay. though? Pardon? Are you getting winded, though? <laughs> no, I'm fine. I've been here for a couple of days. Oh, okay, acclimated. Uh, so let's shift to the good stuff because I think there's good stuff. I think there's technology good stuff. I think there's person good stuff or personal good stuff. And let me give you a personal anecdote that I, I now love. Up until this point, up until March, grocery shopping was a hated activity. I didn't enjoy doing it. It was, <laughs> I got this massive list. I had to go up and down the aisles. There was too many people there. The lines took too long. It was hundreds of dollars because I had to buy so much stuff and individual time. Everybody went on Thursdays and Fridays and the experience does not look like that in any way. In fact, in general now, the seasonality has changed to be very, very thin because people now don't make Thursday and Friday night or Saturday afternoon the shopping experience. The shopping experience could be any time between eight and midnight um, and they're spread out pretty evenly because they know that only so many people can be in the grocery store at any one period of time, that there's a lineup to now get in the grocery store. That means there's a max amount of people. You're only going to see so many people throughout the day and through the lines. Uh, it is very easy to get to the cashier, probably only one person in front of you in the cashier. 
you're more likely to go more often. Therefore, you're going to get fresher foods, right? I now go twice or three times a week just to get the freshest of the foods I normally wouldn't have got before. I'm not eating as much frozen because I can get as much fresh. Um, and I think in, in my opinion, it's better for even the grocery store chains, right? They don't have peaks and valleys. They can schedule the exact same amount of cashiers at the exact same time, the entire time. It is a very predictable, understood process now. Uh, it's been incredibly positive. Right? Like, what do you think? I would say my experience with the grocery store is similar, but not the same. Like, mm. um, if I have to go Friday or Saturday or Sunday morning, um, Sunday morning, it's really sun Sunday early afternoon. Um, it's very, very busy. Mm. Um, and you'll probably wait. Um, but you have, they still limit the amount of people going in, right? Meh. No. We have lines. We have lines. Like I, I could be in a 10 person line before they're, I get in. They're probably supposed to. Okay. That doesn't mean they do, but I will say when I go during the week, which is by far my preferred, my preferred time to go, or okay. if I go early morning on the weekend before mm -hmm. say 10 AM, um, you're right. There's like nobody there. Right. right. I'll run into a few people. Like it doesn't feel like, sh like I've, I've shopped at 3 AM. <laughs> right. It doesn't feel like shopping at 3 a.m. at a 24-hour grocery store where you really, like, you feel like you're on a movie set only shopping because of the script calls for it. Right. Versus, like, I'm, this is the time that happened to be convenient for me, so, or, you know, this is the time where I have the, the interest in making something, therefore I'm going to the, going to the store. Uh, I will say, just as a personal aside, the greatest time, the greatest ever was when I lived right next door to a grocery store. And it seems a little too urban for a lot of people, but the convenience of being able to push the cart to and from your front door was amazing. Right. And it was a 24-hour grocery store, so you could literally go, like if you wanted to bake at 3 a.m. because you had wicked insomnia and <laughs> something on the internet looked delicious, you could bake at 3 o'clock in the morning and the nice. store was open to supply you what you needed. Um, and I cannot, like I can't tell you how nice it is to be able to walk to a grocery store and never have to get in a car. Right. I miss that. I miss that. But, but nonetheless, right. Um, what I see now is um, a lot more people having the freedom to do their shopping when, you know, in between a meeting. Yep. Right. Um, and, and kind of, I, I would say um, one of the positives is I think we've become more aware of time, even though we're less aware of the passage of it. Right. Like I said, it still feels like April, but the fact is I'm probably better at my time management now than I ever was. Right. I'm right. now, probably better able to look at the clock and go, okay, I have a mix of things to do that are work and personal. And I don't need to wait till five to do the personal things, which also means I, I, I can take a meeting later and not feel like it's intruding on my personal time. And I can go shopping during the day and not feel like it's intruding on my work time. Right. Right. I've become more, you know, I was pretty task focused before, but I, I would say I've become more task focused. Like I can break my day up into a series of tasks easier. And I would say the, the people that I've talked to that have really taken advantage of this time um, have started to do that, right? Like I block stuff on my calendar that's not externally assigned, but rather internally driven, right? So I block time on my calendar for, um, you know, learning, for education, for reading, for like for whatever it is that I, that I wanna do, I want that as a recurring thing on my calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've become far better at that than I, than I, than I think. Um, and, and the other people that I've talked to that are doing the same thing are, are sharing kind of the same 
sense of, of, of joy and happiness, right? Um, I think COVID has been a fantastic time for self-improvement, especially for that self-improvement that wasn't necessarily hyper-focused on your career. Right. Like, I think, we're, I think we're relatively good at learning new job skills, right, especially within technology. Um, but the number of people that I know that have, like, built a whole wood, wood, shirt, wood shop in their house is rather significant. And, and I think there's a ton of value in that as well. Um, because, you know, I, like, I recommend people learn the Rubik's Cube. Um, I don't recommend it because it's not particularly hard. But what it does do is teach you to, to think about something in three dimensions. And we don't right. do that very often. And if you can think about something in three dimensions, it gives you a new perspective. And then you can apply that new perspective to other things. And developing a hobby where you work with your hands does the same thing. I, I can visualize how things click together. I can, I can take something that's high level and start to break it down into pieces because I, I can see how things are assembled in my mind a whole lot easier. And I'm used to working within that dimension. Mm. So whether that's fixing cars, building robots, you know, whatever it happens to be, all of the, those skills translate. Um, and I've seen a lot of people doing that. The number of people I know that are finally getting around to writing their novel is impressive. I need to get around to writing that novel. Uh, other good things, I think uh, cleanliness is now a top priority. Like you can walk to any store and it's cleanliness is what they spend a good portion of their time on, right? You can walk in any store, you're going to get, uh, you're going to get Purell in your hands. The carts will be completely clean. They're going to spend far more time than they had before to make sure all the services were well done. That's great. I, I think there's, I think the essential and frontline workers have had a pretty dramatic um, uplifting of their value, right? You, we now value those people uh, more than we would have before, which is awesome, right? Let's congratulate you for doing the things that we couldn't or wouldn't do, and you can and will do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying in, a, in an ideal Canadian world. Fair enough. Right? Um, the the reality is, in. in the U.S., they're sometimes good about it, sometimes not good about it. Like, mm. It's almost like they, they did it for a few days, then forgot, and then went, oh, crap, we're supposed to be doing this, so we'll do it for another few days, and then forget again. Yeah. Um, the... I think the rate of, I, I, think, I think COVID has brought out the best and worst in people, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think if you naturally thought of frontline workers as people who worked for you to, to really focus on your needs at your beck and call, you've become worse, right? right? I'm seeing more of that. But for people who recognize that it's it's a job and you should be thankful that someone is doing that job so you don't have to we've become more thankful right they do that job right um i think you know uh, i hear a lot more politeness in the checkout lane right um, i'm seeing a lot more patience in the checkout lane it takes longer now to check out right. and i think we're now to the point where people are realizing that so i'm hearing a, I'm, I'm not getting the same level of huffing right that I used to previously see. Um, like I think Tip, tips are getting higher. Um, I don't get tipped, so I, I don't know. <laughs> tips I, are definitely getting like, higher. Yeah. I, I've always, I think anyways, I've always been a good tipper. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I would say some of my tips have definitely become higher. Right. Um, especially delivery food, my tips have become higher. Right. Without a doubt. But, but I never thought about it. It just was something that I did. Um, 
But I think when we look at people, I think there's one other advantage and we've talked about it before. And I, I don't think enough people are really listening when we say it, because the fact is the ratio, the, the radius that you can hire is no longer bound by a commute. That was going to be the last topic. So let's talk about <laughs> CIO, CTO, that sort of quadrant of goodness that has come out. And, and in many ways, um, while um, there has been some constraint in IT, in my opinion, it has been mostly good for IT. What do you think? I would agree. You're about to give an example that's the mostly good part. So, so this is by far, the, of, of the mostly goods, this one rises to the top. This is the creme de la creme of mostly goods. And that is, we know for a fact work from home works for tech workers. That's mm -hmm. period end statement. We know that works. That means I no longer need to be constrained by a commute when hiring. As a matter of fact, I should put that completely out of my hiring requirements and instead think about the radius to which I can hire and still support the employee. Right. The reality is that means I really only need three to four hours a day of overlap. Nine to five, whatever my working schedule is, eight to five overlap. Right. Which means I can go plus or minus four or five even time zones to find the right person to accomplish the task, right? Now, it, it's not all net positives, right? The net positives are huge hiring pool, no longer localized, right? Massive hiring pool. That is effectively all of the US, that's all of the Americas I can hire from. Yep. Right? Um, so that's, that's tremendously huge. It also means I can potentially hire from a lower cost of living area so I can either get a candidate far better than I expected or far cheaper than I expected or some combination thereof. Right. Additionally, if I'm early to the game, I may also be able to hire from an area where they're not getting a lot of competition. Right? And allow for employment mobility. Let's say one right. of your best people uh, feel the need to move somewhere else just for standard of living. They do not have to resign from their job. Correct. Correct. And someone who moves to a lower cost of living area for a better standard of living or because it fits their personality, right? They want right. to live on a ranch in the middle of, of Kansas. Or their spouse got another job. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It increases loyalty, doesn't decrease loyalty. They're not going right. to immediately move and go, you know what? I think that employer that enabled this whole thing that stuck by me through this, I think going to leave them. Again, we're tribal and we like to maintain our tribes. It's built into our DNA. Right. Right. So it's tremendous wins. On the other hand, it does mean it's tremendous wins for good employers, for good culture, for good right. leaders. Because on the other hand, it does mean I no longer am in the same office with my employees, just like I haven't been during COVID, which means I have to make special time for each and every one of them. Right. It means if they're five time zones apart, I'll need to be flexible and they'll need to be flexible in calendaring said one-on-ones. And the onus really falls more on leadership to be cognizant of it than it does the employee because that's just the way it works. Right. You can't demand it the other way around. If you're demanding it the other way around, you probably need to improve that. You probably are falling more to the bad side than the good side, right? Come back to the light side, stay away from the dark side. I know the cookies are good. Right. But it also means if your culture isn't good and all you're doing is hiring people remotely and you're not dealing with the care and feeding, 
everyone else is also going to be hiring remotely eventually. And so, well, you, you should absolutely take advantage of it right now. Absolutely get there first. Absolutely lean on that. Remember that if your culture isn't good and you're not dealing with the care and feeding of those employees, eventually they're going to get recruited by other employers who may have a better culture. So be That's aware right. of that. I think the employer the competition will be stark. Will be fierce. Yeah. Absolutely fierce. Because now if you want to live in Minneapolis and Minneapolis has a, a very robust tech, tech scene right now, it's, yeah. it, you're, you're in a good position to find a job. Your ability to find a job is going to go up, not down. Right. It's going to go way up because not only is Minneapolis going to compete for you, but so is everywhere else. Yeah. So is New York. So is Silicon Valley. Everywhere so else. is Seattle. Yeah. Yep. Without a doubt. Um, so that does mean you really need to focus on your culture. And that kind of brings me to the last thing I want to say today. And that is we're moving to an era and we've been doing it for a long time. I think COVID just took the movement and shot it ahead five years, right? I think it did the same thing for digital transformation, right? It shot digital transformation's importance ahead, did not retard it. Right. Um, I, think, I think we've shot ahead in that culture is the number one should be the number one concern of every single person in leadership. Right. Right. The modern employee isn't looking just for a paycheck. And in a post-COVID world, any skilled worker is going to have a ton more places they can look for employment, not fewer places. Right. And therefore, culture is going to become a more and more and more and more important component. So please, think about your culture. Think about what it is and what you'd like it to be, and start moving more towards the ideal. Make that your number one job. The last comment I'd make before you close out is, in my opinion, I'm sure you agree, that the new normal is in fact the biggest opportunity that CIOs have ever had in their entire career. It's the biggest opportunity to spend differently. It's the biggest opportunity to find people or to hire differently. It's the biggest opportunity to change how you spend and what projects you deliver on. It's the biggest opportunity to implement automation. It's the biggest opportunity to deliver projects faster. It's the biggest opportunity to take what the business change has allowed you to provide and actually provide it. This is a dramatically positive impact to IT, but you have to, you have to grab it. You can't just let it fly by. It's also the biggest change and opportunity to your career personally. Right. If you understand digital transformation, if you understand culture, if you understand the value of these things, you're going to become infinitely more valuable. If you understand how to take IT and turn it into a true business partner, right? How to take IT and turn it into the technical trusted partner for the organization, truly and honestly, you're in a far better position than you were a year ago, than you were two years ago, than you were three years ago. Yep. Start talking about it. Make sure your organization understands it. Make sure they understand the value. And if they don't, maybe think about another organization because there are thousands of organizations that need that help. And there are thousands of organizations that know they need that help. They just don't know who to turn to. Right. Well, good topic. Well, with that, I think that's it. So please, please, if you're watching this on a platform that allows, click that like and subscribe button. Please share this on Facebook and and LinkedIn, and I don't, I don't know if it's possible, but it'd be neat to see it on, on Instagram. Um, <laughs> please like and subscribe everywhere you can. As always, we, we really love any comments that we get. Um, 
And so please, if you're one of our subscribers, please comment. Please let us know what you'd like to see. If you if you know somebody that you think would be a great guest for us to have, feel free to throw them in a comment. We we read all of them and we'd love to have we'd love to have some other guests on. So I'm Howard Holton and as always, Paul Lewis. Thank, thank you, you and uh, have a great day.